Dick. That reminds me of when I used to sneak drinks into nightclubs. And there was one time I was wearing a body, like, con- <laughs> like one of those kite dresses. And I smuggled four cans of alcohol in my boobs. In your I know this is an dress. inappropriate story to bring this up in. So, yeah. so brave to listen. So Thank brave. you. I know. I'm impressed. Thank you. Cans as well. Cans, cans in your cans. Pops cans. Do you remember those? Oh, God. God disgusting. Vomits. Good for you. <laughs> back to another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women from history that you should know about. I'm Talissa. I'm Erin. And I'm Lucy. Energy. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a Sunday morning. It, it is, is a morning <laughs> episode recording and not a nighttime Friday night wines recording, <laughs> so hopefully it'll be less tangents. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> And it is your week, though, so... Yes. Who are you doing? What have you got? <sighs> this week, I am covering Irina Sendler, mm-hmm. okay. who was a social worker, nurse, and activist who saved around 2,500 children from death at the hands of the Nazi regime. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. This is a heavy one. Okay. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> to begin with, Irina firmly believes that everything that she did during World War II, which was a lot of amazing things apart from the dire circumstances. She says it wasn't heroic and that she's not a hero. She said that saving thousands of Jewish children from the Warsaw Ghetto in Poland was normal. I'm not normal. No, so as I said, yeah, this this story is it's going to be a bit of a bummer. But it is full of bravery. It's full of resistance. It's full of fierce femaleness and a whole lot of not normal. <laughs> Can yeah. confirm. Okay, so let's just get into it. Okay. Can I just say quickly, you watch um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. It reminds me of, what's his face? The da- the husband's dad who's like, I saved 13 Jews. <laughs> yeah. And that's his whole thing. It's his he got thing. the 13 he's, Jews. But typical, he's a male out character of, out of who's Germany. like, yeah, look at this great thing I did. And, and this she's like 2,500 and she's like, yeah, it's yeah, not it had to be done. I just had to do it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Great show if you haven't watched it. Irina was born in 1910 and her caring nature has been heavily attributed back to her father who was a humanitarian and worked as a doctor. He was very civic-minded, very caring towards people and was happy to treat Jewish people at the time when most Catholic doctors would not. As a result, Irina grew up with strong links to the Jewish community in Warsaw and learnt to speak Yiddish with her Jewish friends. She attended Warsaw University where she originally wanted to become a lawyer Mm -hmm. but... Classic uterus getting in the way of our brains. She was talked out of the otherwise male-dominated profession and studied to become a teacher instead. Still a good job. Classic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... But, you know, if it's not what you want to do... No. no. A female becoming a lawyer? How dare you? Have you never seen Legally Blonde? Was that not made at this time? (laughs) Blood like it's hard. (laughs) Inspiration. But it was the 1930s that Irina found her true calling as a social worker. And she studied that at the Polish Free University. And this became a very crucial part of her story because here Irina met and befriended her professor, Dr. Helena Padlinska, that would later help form the Future Resistant Network. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Queen. So it was all meant to be. Now, during her time at uni, the discrimination against Jews was only just beginning her classmates were forced to sit separately in lectures. Mm. They were being bashed up. It was 
It was awful. Gross. But it was, as we know now, just the beginning of something that was yeah. going to be yeah. fucking terrible. On that note, in September 1939, Germany invaded Poland, triggering the start of World War II. The rights for Jewish people in everyday society had diminished. Irina and her social worker friends formed an underground network to help illegally supply social worker services to Jewish people by smuggling food, money and clothing to them because those everyday rights were taken away. Gone. Yeah. So by 1941, under the orders of their leader, Adolf Hitler, German armed forces, a.k.a. the, the Gestapo, were told to round up Polish Jewish people and force them to live in enclosed districts or ghettos. It's, a, it's just the beginning of the big bummer of a story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so these ghettos in Warsaw were made up of 73 run-down streets that were all walled in. Jewish refugees from across German-occupied territory were sent to that ghetto. At its peak, over 400,000 people lived within those ghetto walls. Holy shit. That's more than the population of Wollongong. Yeah, I know. I don't know, for yeah, bigger wow. reference, that's more than the population of Canberra. Mm. Living on 73 streets, run-down streets, barely livable streets. Holy And I've actually shown shit. you, this is a photo of, like, the walled area in Warsaw. Oh, wow. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. Small. Yeah. It's outrageous to think <sighs> that people were forced to live like that not that long ago. There are people that still alive today that were around when this yeah. was happening. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it's just... It blows my mind. Okay. Jewish policemen guarded the inside of the wall and the Nazi and Polish officers patrolled the outside. Only those with special permits could leave the ghetto. Families were crowded into single rooms, which led to the spread of disease, naturally. There was no hygiene. Starvation was imminent. Over the course of the ghetto existence, food rations per person per day went from 800 calories a day per person per day, which is already half of what you Mm. should be having to 184 calories per person per day that's like an apple yep yeah wow what yeah so it led to a lot of children a lot of the time would sneak out climb the 10 foot walls go through the dangerous sewers to Mm. go and get food and bring it back to their families super risky men in the ghettos between the ages of 12 and 60 were forced to go and work in labor camps where they worked to produce supplies for the increasingly strained war economy or in the construction efforts and like a lot of PTSD from working at those camps because the, yeah. obviously the working conditions were horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. 184 calories a day. Exactly. Which is barely enough to make you want to stand up. Exactly. Or move. Exactly. And in the German minds, it was like, oh, well, everyone's replaceable. Yeah. You died. All right, bring another one in. Oh like it, they literally were treated not even like anything humane. Like it was just, yeah. Totally inhumane living conditions. Irina and her network were ready to step it up, though. As a social worker, Irina was able to obtain an access pass in and out of the ghetto, saying that she was working... She also worked kind of partly as a nurse to help with controlling the epidemics that were breaking out by the tenfold Mm. and Mm. to prevent the spread of anything to outside the ghetto. Mm -hmm. So in their minds, they were like, great, yeah, cool. Save us. Protect us, yeah. Oh. Good for them. Also, smart, smart going, Arena. Yeah. Nice. So that just obviously inspired her to work on getting people, including her friends and her boyfriend, Adam, by the way, because he was Jewish. Oh, yeah. Yep. The fuck out of there. 
right? Holy shit. Yeah. Irina began expanding her operations by smuggling food, toys, and typhoid vaccinations, often in her bra. <laughs> wow. I know we hate that- bras, but guys, they've come in handy. Irina's office also had copies of birth certificates to help Jewish families escape the ghetto under false identities. This is where it gets interesting. In 1942, Hitler ordered the deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto to the Treblinka extermination camp. This camp was set up for mass killings of the Jewish population. Heartbreakingly, Jewish people were told they were just being relocated. And you can imagine by this point that a lot of them wanted to be anywhere but in the ghetto. Yeah. It just... Uh, it's just really heartbreaking. Oh, I'm fully getting emotional. I'm just really sad. Uh, okay. Um, oh, Erin, you've never even cried in front of us. This is a big deal. I'm <laughs> really sad. Oh, it's really horrible. It's this is really fucking sad. Uh, it's a sorry. really... In a no, you're right. Okay. Oh. Okay. So this is when Irina and her network began smuggling children and babies out of the ghetto. Smuggling the children out was done via a variety of gut-wrenchingly in- inventive ways, to be honest. Children were hidden under rags, inside coffins, because mm. obviously oh, people were shit. dying every day from these outbreaks of disease and she was supposed to take care of them, right? Yeah. So she started using those coffins to sneak live children Smart. out. There were five main means of escape using an ambulance that a child could be taken out hidden under the stretcher, escaping through the courthouse, which was at the edge of town. It was mm-hmm. kind of like this had like a sneaky door. A child could be taken out using the sewer pipes or other secret underground passages. A trolley would carry out children hiding in a sack, in a trunk, a suitcase or something like that. Babies. They didn't, they didn't take as many babies as they did just sort of children. Mm. Well, I guess it's a bit hard. What if a baby cries? Yeah, so babies had to be lightly drugged to keep them mm-hmm. from crying yeah, and that- they were smuggled out in like burlap sacks, toolboxes and briefcases. If a child could pretend to be sick or was actually pretty sick, um, they could be legally removed using the ambulance. Getting through was just one step, but getting out was the next step. They had to seek refuge to avoid being instantly killed. Irina had safe houses set up and ensured that older children memorised Catholic prayers and often underwent makeovers to make them look oh a bit more goodness. less Jewish. Yeah. yeah, it's fucked up. This is so fucked up. Irina and her helpers made over 3,000 false documents to help Jewish families during this time. Toddlers were a little bit harder to control. They were a bit more risky because yeah. they, they, the three-year-old doesn't know what the fuck's no. going on. And sometimes they would, oh, sometimes they would accidentally speak Yiddish. And not realise. But it didn't stop Irina. Like, she still tried to work out a way to get them out. And this is when Irina's former professor, Dr. Radlinska, stepped in to help coordinate a lot of the secret operations like Irina's while she was secretly hiding in a convent. I just, I find it so impressive that they were able to carry out all of these operations hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, it's just, it's so risky like, every day these people are waking up. Irina, everyone in her network, which was made up of about 25 people by this point, and all the other resistance groups yeah, got up every single day knowing they could be killed that day mm-hmm. doing what they are doing, and they just still did it. Yeah, And I, they just thought it was the she norm. She doesn't think that it's heroic. Like, that's... It just... Just putting yourself... Yeah, it just... It's like, babe, sorry. Sorry to disagree with you. You're undoubtedly an awesome person, but that's probably the definition of heroic. Is exactly. really putting yourself in danger every day. Yeah. 
I think sorry Irina but really <laughs> but like I get that that's wild but I like my brain can't get past the fact that humans thought this was okay mm-hmm like humans, a human being a human not just we like, don't really call Hitler a human being no though. but I don't understand why humans can treat other humans like this and then the, the police that were just like I, like it just that's the part mm. that I just can't get past like mm. I think it'd be very natural for people to want to rescue babies and children mm. like maybe you don't have the bravery to do it and that's acceptable too because that's your death possibly mm-hmm. but it's the the part that I can't get past is the fact that someone mm-hmm said that this is what we're going to do and then everyone else followed suit and just did it. Yeah. Yeah. I, but it, it's that's human nature. It I don't is. Know. I was about to say that, that. That could happen tomorrow. There could be some Shit does happen stupidly like charismatic leader who comes into Australia and everyone falls in love with them and they say, this is the answer, this is the solution, these are the bad mm-hmm. guys and people would follow. Like, and it's, it's grooming. Like Hitler groomed the German population into yeah. thinking that this is what how the world had to be over years and years. School children, children, yeah, were groomed, mass re re education to like, think that this is the way of life. That's so fucked up. Yeah, like without going too deep into it, but yeah, this was done over a long period of time. That's the thing; it was normal. It was considered normal to do yeah. it. The stuff that they were yeah. doing was considered abnormal because yeah. they didn't see them as people. All right, let's move on. By this point, the Polish underground resistance group Zagota, Zagota had taken Irina and her network under its wing. The Council to Aid Jews, or Zagota, was the continuation of an earlier aid organisation, the Provisional Committee to Aid Jews, that was founded on 27th of September 1942 by two Polish Catholic activists, both females, Zofia and Wanda. Queens. Queens. I love that it's called, like, they're doing these incredibly heroic things. They're smuggling people out in coffins and in stretchers and in burlap sacks, and they're called the Provisional Committee. (laughs) <laughs> like it's yeah. such a provisional committee it's like you picture them just you know making sure that there's tea and cakes for you know the next book club or something but yeah you wouldn't imagine the provisional committee you'd imagine like the alliance or the or the league yeah you know <laughs> but changing their name to zagotta was way more badass yeah. Yeah, so, like yeah, guys yeah. we need to shake this up it doesn't look as good on the logo yeah we need like the rebel alliance yeah exactly the provisional committee now they had a lot of uh, specialized departments for issues such as clothing children welfare medical care, housing, and other relevant issues. And they had around 100 cells that provided food, medical care, money, and false identification documents to thousands of Polish Jews. So they were all doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because you can imagine, like, at this time, the Polish underground resistance was... There was heaps and heaps and heaps of different groups. They had to start coming together, Mm -hmm. obviously. Irina was also very passionate about keeping a record of all the children that she rescued, their names and the addresses of where they were being put for protection. She kept a record on cigarette paper, which is like tiny, oh tiny, tiny goodness. sheets of thin paper, which she guarded with her life. Well, yeah, you'd need to because that would be just – imagine if that got into the it's so hands risky. of the kids. But how important because, like, let's say it's over tomorrow, those parents need to be able to find where their kids have gone. Well, that was her mentality. I mean, no one knew how bad it was or how bad it was going to get. So she was just like, obviously, I need to do this. It's normal to Irina. Oh my goodness. Right? But she knew she had to keep it on her, obviously. And she also wanted the information so that she could direct funds and supplies to wherever they were being kept. And yeah, of course, in her mind, she kept it so she could reunite the children with their families after the war. She hid the names in her apartment with fears that if she had them on her and she was captured, it was just way too risky. It's risky either way, but fuck. Yeah. Okay. So in the spring of 1943, an uprising occurred. 
where the Jews inside the ghetto using Mm -hmm. homemade or smuggled in weapons rose up against the Germans. This lasted for about a month of which Irina was able to sneak in and out and rescue more children amongst the chaos. So even more dangerous now, but like, you know, just act quickly. The Germans eventually, of course, called in reinforcements, which led to the complete destruction of the ghetto. During this chaos, a lot of Irina's network was apprehended and killed. Mm. But it didn't stop her. Did they burn it down? Did they burn down the ghetto? Yes. I don't know if this was when they did. Okay. But it basically was, yeah. It destroyed. Completely destroyed. Yeah. Okay. Where did they go then? They died. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's going to get worse as well. Okay. Arena continued to smuggle the children out, keeping records of every single one. That same year, after years and years of hunting down a woman under the pseudonym Jolanta, Irina was eventually found out by the Gestapo. They captured her and tortured her for information, but Irina continued to stick to her story as a measly social worker. Measly, please. (laughs) She didn't reveal any information about smuggling the children or the resistance. Wow. It was her hidden lists, though. That would save her life. Ah. So the Zagota team found them in her apartment and they used them to help gather enough funds for a bribe to Ah. try and get Irina out. I love that. Mm -hmm. So they went to the people that she'd helped save and were like, guys, they're calling in the debt. Yep, let's do it. And obviously they were, if they could help, they did. Mm. So So they went to each house and collected money. Well, basically, yeah, they used it as kind of like a... Like a file of hacks of people that would, as if you wouldn't want to help get yeah. her out. Oh my she God. saved your life. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's yeah, such it's really a, amazing. Oh my Lovely God. little. Yeah. Yeah. So story. they managed to get together about 80,000 pounds in today's money. So that's about 140,000 Australian in today's money. <gasps> wow. I think I did that conversion today. So I don't know if that's still legit. With a lot COVID of money. And everything. 80,000 pounds. 80,000 pounds in today's money. So. It would have been less back then. Yeah. 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 That's a lot of fucking it's money. It's a lot of money, but they needed it. Holy shit. Okay. So a 14-year-old girl was given the task of delivering the money <gasps> in a backpack to secretly meet up with this German guard who apparently was this really young dickhead who was a real smooth-talking Polish guard. Polish just a, as a well. Polish, a That's Polish what, Rolf. Yeah. Yeah. Piece of shit. Yeah. Anyways, so when he, he took the bribe. And when Irina's name was called for execution, he led her in a different direction where she could be freed, but he's still a dipshit. He still flogged her in the face before she left, so he literally just wanted the money. Fuck him. Anyways, she got out. She got out. Okay, naturally, Irina became most wanted by the German soldiers in Poland, and as an extra precaution, Irina buried the lists of all the children in glass bottles under a big tree. She went into full mode hiding. She actually had to miss her mum's funeral as well because she was in hiding, but she did manage to sneak in and out of the hospital where her mum was being treated just before she died so she could see her. A little sneaky raccoon, I love it. She continued to work as well as part of the Zagoda resistance in hiding, like coordinating all of the um, efforts and like still trying to get children out Far and out. under protection. Cause you've got to like keep track of all the kids once they're out as well. Like it's full on. It just blows my mind. And they didn't even have Microsoft Excel to like <laughs> keep up with everyone. Like oh this is goodness. just mind blowingly impressive girl. This is not normal. Okay. In 1944, the home army of resistance fighters, which was 300,000 people, I think in Poland and 40,000 in Warsaw rose up. By this point, the Nazi party was killing everyone in Warsaw, Mm. Jewish or not. 
And I think that's when everything was completely yeah. burnt down. And Irina and her boyfriend, Adam, Adam. who's still in the story, yeah, he got out. Yeah, yeah, Adam. Um, and their friends set up a field hospital <laughs> when this was happening. Just normal. To help people. Normal, just normal behaviour. Yeah. How does she not fucking see herself as a hero? I know. This is so crazy. I know. Also, so how do you just casually set up a field hospital? <laughs> like... <laughs> It's craziness. So they set up a field hospital to help people who were being killed in this oh fucking uprising. Shit. And then I'm pretty sure they got shut down and so they just set up another one. Like yeah. they just kept going. It's just kind of like I'm picturing, you know, the um that game where it's like, what's it called? It's whack-a-mole. called whack-a-mole. And yeah. the Nuts is like, no, and she's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Not today. On September the second, nineteen forty five, the war ended. Warsaw Poland had been completely destroyed. Irina's list of children sadly were buried under rubble forever. No. But she did try to reconstruct them as best she could from her memory. God bless us all. But of course, as we know, pretty much all of those children's parents and families were no longer alive. Yeah. After being sent away to the camps. But just, oh, I know. On a slightly happier note, Irina and Adam were still together. They stayed in Poland. They got married and had two kids. They also fostered two Jewish girls. They did eventually divorce, but hey, you know, it's life. I mean, they got through the rockiest part of history and Uh, (laughs) and then they divorced. (laughs) Whatever, but I'm just saying, if you can make it through that, truly. But the dust literally settled and they were like, I actually can't stand you. It was just the thrill of the moment. Oh, God bless them. Okay, so Irina's story actually remained relatively unknown until the late 90s when four students began looking for information about Irina Sendler when they were given a clipping from one of their professors in 1990, uh, from a 1994 issue of US News and World Report where the mention of Irina was in a story called Other Schindlers, which I would assume is a branch off the Schindlers List story. And yeah. if you haven't seen that, watch it in installments. It is a fucking heartbreaking movie. But she's also, like, Schindler was, he obviously did good things, but he did it because they were cheap labour too. Yes. Like, that's the thing. He was by no means a selfless man. Mm-hmm. He, he did it because he knew that he could get cheaper Jewish yep. labour by keeping them alive. Yeah. She did all of this. And it's like, where's Sendler's list? You know, why why are we telling the story of a guy who saved lots of people but also got a lot of money out of it? Exactly. When there was a woman who was tortured. Yeah. And, oh. And, like technically apart from saving all these lives as the biggest reward of all that was it that was her reward that's and she didn't even do she didn't do it for the reward no she did it because she literally said it was normal and she had to do it look anyone it just, who risks, just the point is that it's interesting the stories that we it, choose to it is it, it really um, is make into legend and the ones that we yeah forget about which is a big reason why these four students were like hang on a second more people need to know this woman's story. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, it was the 90s, but it says here, I love this, only one website on the internet mentioned Irina. I mean, it's the 90s. How many websites were there even <laughs> <laughs> around? Um, but still. It, it was, was like, not... there's like one website. Yeah, there is only, <laughs> on the <laughs> there is only one website in the 90s. Um, but it wasn't until the students visited Poland in 2001, not that long ago. Holy crap. Yep, that Irina's story became known to the world. So now I think there was there's like 750,000 websites that mention Irina. The students went on to create the Life in a Jar project, which has since gathered over 4,000 pages of primary material and research on the line of life of Irina and the work of Zagoda. And then in 2008, at the ripe old age of 98... Irina passed away. Get out. She received plenty of recognition and awards for her bravery, including a Nobel Peace Prize nomination and a letter from the Pope. Fantastic. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Now, it is important to remember that 90% of Poland's Jewish population was killed over the course of World War II. 90%. 90%. 15% of the entire Polish population died. Many people, like Irena, attempted to help Jewish people escape or hide. The penalty for these people, as we know, was instant death Mm. for them and their families. Mm. So you're not just risking your own life you're risking the lives of everyone you love and care about close to you to put more numbers into perspective as well into this story only about five thousand of the one million polish children survived the war five thousand oh my god Irina and her network helped save half of those children oh yeah two thousand five hundred yeah and Irina said it was normal <laughs> and to a lot of people who resisted the german occupation it was that's my story wow that's my story of Irina. My really fucking bummer of a story. No, I love it. Mm. I think it needs to. It's very important. But just, I can just, I'm just picturing the movie, you know, and she's taken in by the Nazis Mm -hmm. and then her mates find the list of letters and there's an awesome, you know, movie montage of, you know, like the people sending in the money and be like, go save her, save her girl. There is a movie. It's kind of like, it kind of looks like a made for television movie, but it's got Anna Paquin who Ah, plays Irena. Yeah. I'm shaking my head for those who can't see me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't her know story. How. Her story. Yeah, I think with the creation of the life in the jar, the life in the jar project, project obviously that has been a massive yeah. you know, part of this story. And look, everything doesn't have to be made into a multi-million no. dollar feature film. Not for, that no. doesn't, that's not like the the, and, the, the but it's measuring about the, stick. But like Schindler's List, but just it's just interesting. See, I've never you know? seen Schindler's List, but I've I, I can't. I really find it very hard to try and watch or read anything about this time in history. It. it I, and I went to Auschwitz when I was in traveling in Europe and the thing that struck me while I was there like, was the amount of children's shoes yeah. in one of the displays mm-hmm. of children that had been killed there. And like to think that even one less child died because of her, let alone what, two mm-hmm. and a half thousand, like mm-hmm. just two and a half thousand less pairs of shoes. Like mm-hmm. that's so fun. And some of those children are probably still alive today. You know, yeah. We don't know that. It's just, I just... Just such a... I know there's horrible things going on in the world today, but I just still can't believe that this actually happened not that long ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just... Yeah. It Every time, every time, it just gets me. But oh, I find this part of history so fascinating. It is fascinating because yeah. it is so unbelievable, but it fucking really is believable at the same time. But, like, you think that we learn from this behaviour and we go, never again, we're not doing that again. Mm-mm. And then Cambodia. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the... That mm-hmm. di- I mean, different circumstances, but same shit. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. just fucked up. And then think about what's happening in China with the Uyghur Muslim population. Yeah. Like, it's the same shit again. Like, mm-hmm. why have we not learned from this? Exactly. Exactly. H- how can we listen to trauma like this and read these books and watch these movies and hear people speak who were alive back then and not fucking stop doing this to mm-hmm. people? I don't get it. Ignorance. It's just the darker side of humanity. Mm-hmm. But then we have people like Irina and yeah. and we need more people like Irina. Yeah. Mm. We need to all be a bit like more like Irina every single day. Just normal. Just normal. Just the casual things. Just a casual life-saving hero. <laughs> 2,500. Yeah. Yeah. Off you go. I wonder go what, save her, I wonder what her definition of heroism is. If that's... Yeah, I know, right? She's like, sorry, I don't have laser beams coming out of my eyes, so I'm not a hero. <laughs> yeah, Girl! Yeah, I really wonder, but I really wonder how she defines that I don't know. maybe the true heroes actually don't see there is a quote okay 
Let me stress most emphatic emphatically that we who were rescuing children are not some kind of heroes. Indeed, the term irritates me greatly. The opposite is true. I continue to have qualms of conscience that I did so little. Because in her eyes, she's like, I could have saved more. There's so many people I saw still die. Well, now I feel bad for calling her a hero because I've irritated her. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not sorry. Uh, sorry. I but think she's awesome. To me, a hero is someone who doesn't think they're a hero. Yeah. Really? Mm. No? No, I don't disagree. Mm. But, you I, know, like, I do hope that she got to sit back in her life and go, like, fuck yeah, like, I help. And maybe I didn't do everything I could have done or maybe I could have done more, but, like, I still did something good. Like, I hope she got that moment in her life yeah. to go, like, I did good. Hopefully the, that was the le- the Pope from the, the letter from the Pope. was like, yeah. girl, <laughs> you did good. You did freaking good. <laughs> That brings us to the end of another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast. Thank you so much for listening in as we heard all about Irina Sendler. Yes, the not-so-normal Irina Sendler. Yeah. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Fierce Females Podcast or Facebook, Fierce Females of History. You can find us at Gmail too if you've got something to say, History at gmail.com. Don't forget, scroll down, rate us, and uh, leave a comment if you feel friendly. Yes. Want to say hi? Yes. Or you can write out your message and take it to the post office but don't carry it in your hand carry it in your bra just like smuggle it in fish it out take it out you might shock a few people but just make sure you don't flash them because you know public indecency but or do it because free the nip free the nip baby (laughs) but yeah just carry it in your bra and then mail it to us we don't, you don't have her address. But no, but just send your it. Your boobs will know. Just send it your to... Your boobs will know. Your boobs will know where your boobs we always know. Yeah, just, just address, <laughs> it, address it to the three goddesses and we'll find it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 